after you. Welcome back to the Strongest Ride podcast. You are here in the studio with Sophie Lane and Lydia Mackay, and we're very excited to bring you today's episode, aren't we? We are. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you winking? <laughs> I'm a bit of extra pizzazz, you know. Oh, I like it. So bring it's a shame energy. the listeners miss out on all this pizzazz. Oh. Well, when we um, post this to YouTube later, actually, <laughs> I look very sweaty. <laughs> Let's not post it. Both in our prime. But yes, yeah. I'm excited. This is a fantastic episode. I think this is a really nice one because we got like two perspectives, but from the same individual, one from a physiotherapist point of view and one from an individual person slash patient client and it was great Bo is fantastic he knows a lot of stuff yes well let's introduce who we have on the show so I was just like, giving a little teaser a little teaser so we have Bo Turrell who is a physiotherapist and strength and conditioning coach and he's got a lot of experience as the physio for whole range of sporting teams including a lot of the Sydney footy teams and his personal experience in sport is predominantly with basketball but Bo is someone that I would call is just an all-round athlete. Like he's kind of just good at everything he does. (laughs) He's also a very, very hard worker and a very big physio nerd. And so everything he does, he does very damn well, including the bone stress injury, which he had. He did a damn (laughs) good job. He did that. He really snapped that bone. bone. (laughs) Yeah, he went in and he did a good job. It's quite like, I mean, it's not funny. It's so sad. It's so shit. But he... um. He had an anterior tibial stress fracture, which if anyone knows anything about bone stress injuries, anterior tibia is like a terrible spot to have a bone stress injury. If it's like on the inside, posterior medial, like around the side, around the back, awesome, no worries. On the front, not awesome, not no worries. <laughs> and Bo just really took it in his stride and it was really great to have, well, kind of, <laughs> took it, in, it. His, in his boot stride, and his crush stride. <laughs> and... He uh he looked at it from a physio lens and managed it so well. And I work with Bo. Bo is one of my colleagues at the running room. And every day he'd come in, I'm like, how you doing, Bo? And he's like, he was just so um just like chill and relaxed and comfortable about the whole thing. And yeah, Bo's awesome. The way he approached his rehab was so interesting and fascinating. And we got to dive into it in this episode. And first we'll just talk about what bone stress is and how it happens and the risk factors and the types of loading patterns that we see that develop bone stress injuries, but then also diving into Bo's personal experience and his story from his initial symptoms, the pain he got to then suddenly the really strong pain and sort of inability to hop, how he went about management and what it looks like now, where he's at in his rehab with some hopping and some jumping training that he's doing as part of his return to run protocol. So it was fantastic because I think it's not that often that you hear a personal experience from someone who's actually a physio and an expert in the field of bone stress. Absolutely. You nailed that. He nailed the rehab. You nailed the intro. If you would like to know more, you can follow Bo at bowscience101 on Instagram, or you can go and see him at the running room. Don't bother going to see Lydia. Bo is way better. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, if there's no other option, I guess Lydia's oh. a good backup. <laughs> Excuse me. Look, I will say Bo and I love chatting about bone stress. I don't think we talk about much else in the clinic. Like, you know, sometimes, you know, you come into work and you chat to your colleagues. Oh, yeah, like what you do on the weekend, blah, blah, blah. 
But Bo and I, it's straight into the bone stress chat. This is our <laughs> usual standard chat. So it was great to just have a more lengthy conversation with Bo. And as you guys will know, or if you've been listening recently, I'm actually not in the in the episode. I'm just oh, here in the back. I couldn't remember. But you're no, here actually, now, which is fantastic. What a treat yes. this has been. Yes. Um, but just so you guys know, if you are wondering, I am still around, although I'm not in the interviews, I'm managing some vocal health issues at the moment. So I am here, but I am very quiet these days and hoping to return to full capacity in the coming months on the podcast. But oh, I can't worry. wait. I'm going to be I'm kicking up my feet soon. <laughs> Once you're back, I am zipping my lips, not saying another word. I think I've said enough this last year. Uh, Anyway, enjoy the episode, guys. You're going to love it. You're going to get so much info. Make sure you've got your notepad out. Even if you're listening while you're running, guys, I'm expecting your notepad. (laughs) Maybe we could develop a little notepad that you attach to your wrist so when you run, you're like, hopefully, oh, this is good. This sounds like an injury waiting to happen. (laughs) I can just visualize myself face playing. Although I've kind of mastered the phone and the run, so maybe this could be next journaling. It's like journaling mid-run. Yeah, I have so many ideas when I run. No, this is going to be great. Why don't you just talk to Siri or something? Because I'm resting my vocal folds. That is exactly why. (laughs) Okay. Injury. When I said you, I meant just in general. I'm sorry. It's really harsh. (laughs) Touchy subject. All right. Enough. 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 Enjoy that. I'm sorry. No, not enough. How are people going to write on a notepad and run at the same time? Well, you can learn, right? It's a skill. Can't you just type it onto your phone? It's 2024, so. Yeah, you're stepping back in time. Oh, no. We're trying to to get people back connected to the pen and the paper. Off the grid. That feeling of the ink connecting with the paper. Oh, that's what you could do, a little feather with a little little pot of ink. An ink pot. (laughs) (laughs) You could carve it in some rock or something. Oh, gosh. No, 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 no. This is getting too much. I can't say the right thing today. I'm going to stop. All right. I'm getting sweaty. Enjoy Enjoy the episode. (laughs) Bye. All right. Welcome back to the Stronger Stride podcast. Today we are here with Bo Walker-Tyrrell from The Running Room. He's a sports physiotherapist working alongside Lydia and the team at The Running Room. And he's recently had an injury, which we're going to speak about today. But before we get into that, would you like to let the listeners know a little bit about yourself and what you do for work and what you do for your sporting endeavors? So I have been a physio for three years now. I've worked in some sporting spaces. I've worked in private practice. Currently, I'm working with Lydia at The Running Room. So I've picked up a bit of an interest in you know all things running. Um, but particularly recently, when I started getting more into running, after a big injury myself, I have picked up rather frustrating and annoying injury in the form of a anterior stress fracture, basically. But before that, I was interested in basketball, uh, the gym, running, um, and I also played some social sports in like social netball and social Oztag. Yeah, lovely. Awesome. I guess it'd be really cool to understand I guess what your training has looked like leading up to the recent injury to get, give a bit of context as to, I guess, how this might have come about. Obviously, it's hard to really rule down into one specific cause, but it'd be nice to get an understanding of what did your training look like? What were you doing? Did you have any, I guess, other life stresses going on um, and what was kind of happening in the lead up to that? So probably the main thing that precipitated this is a, a bit of history is I've, I've had an ACL injury about a year and a half ago. So I've been doing some pretty consistent training for that. Um, But about two and a half months ago, I actually dislocated my shoulder. 
Um, and during that period, I actually couldn't even jump or run because like even the smallest jolts would make my shoulder feel like it was going to pop out. So I, I essentially had almost a month off of jumping exercises and really limited in the gym because of the shoulder dislocation. Um, so I, I had really reduced load. And as soon as my shoulder started feeling better and the surgeon said I was allowed to run, I started going a little bit crazy. So I went from <laughs> not running to running three, four times a week around five to 10 Ks um, at like a medium pace. And on top of that, I reintroduced plyos really aggressively. So I had about a four or five week period where everything just basically shot up and just stayed really high. Um, if we're looking at what I was doing, like I said, three to four, 10 Ks a week, and then doing like five to a hundred impacts of high intensity plyos three to four times a week on top of the running. And then I was doing jumps uh, in the, in the physio clinic that I'm working at, just demonstrating exercises, going through different testing with patients and cumulatively, I basically just smashed myself for around four to five weeks, uh, <laughs> precipitating the injury. Yeah. Recipe for disaster. And prior to the shoulder injury, were you doing, I know you mentioned you were doing quite a few sports before that, but what did your training look like before you injured your shoulder? Uh, so it was, it was about just three times a week of gym. Um, mm -hmm. and one or two runs a week. Okay. Um, yeah. Gym included some plyometrics, but not, not to the same extent. I was really going after it. I was losing my mind a little bit with the shoulder, if I'm mm. honest. And what was the um, plyometric program that you started by? Was it anything specific or was it you just getting rid of all your sort of frustrations from the shoulder? Uh, a little bit of the second, um, but pr predominantly <laughs> it, it included variations of pogos where I was essentially starting with fairly easy pogos in just double leg, very quickly increasing the intensity and then essentially trying to overload the pogos and also the single leg jumps that I was doing. So I was essentially trying to do versions of pogos that would overload them. So if we're talking about ways to make pogos a lot harder, jumping off two legs and then landing on one means you've jumped higher with the two-legged jumps. And then that one-legged jump, you're getting more force to then hopefully jump higher off of that kind of like a drop jump for a pogo. Um, I was also doing forwards and backwards variations that are increasing the load. And then I was doing drop jumps and like repeated conti or continuous um, jumping exercises, which is a really good way to like overload the tendons um, and overload the bones if you do them consistently without <laughs> enough break, basically. Yeah. And during those early, those first couple of weeks when you started doing this, did it cross your mind at all that maybe you were overdoing it or were you too busy thinking about the shoulder and just hadn't even thought that maybe your lower limbs could also get injured? I would say probably the thing that made me go that hard is normally during my training, my knee gets swollen pretty easily. So during this period, I didn't have any knee symptoms related to my ACL. And that basically was a sign that I wasn't overdoing it to me. Mm. I also was distracted because I was just really keen to exercise. My partner was away, so I was bored. I was more keen to do more exercise to distract myself as well. So I think like that was kind of a perfect storm of getting using a bad monitoring system or a flawed monitoring system. And then also being distracted by external variables just meant it was very easy for me to go too hard. Yeah, it's interesting having that, um, I guess, reference point or indication of whether you're under or overdoing it and, you know, having a previous injury and using that to guide 
what you're doing. And I'm sure that's probably quite common if people have had something in the past and they think, oh no, my ankle doesn't hurt or my knee doesn't hurt or whatever. So I'm like doing the right thing. But I guess, yeah, we really need to be, I don't know, maybe more open-minded to the fact that we've got other joints and other bones and muscles and tendons in the body that we need to be mindful of. And I think it's really common for us to, you know, if we have an injury to maybe overload on other movements or do other exercises or, you know, fill up our time doing other things and then end up hurting something else. So um, I guess that's probably a good learning for you to, to realize that, yeah, maybe the knee isn't the best reference point moving forward. No, definitely. I think a good measurement strategy would be tracking the number of impacts and making sure those aren't increasing too quickly. In the same way you'd measure how many Ks you're doing and at what speed, you should measure how many high intensity impacts you're doing in a training session. Mm. Just while we're on the topic actually of pogos and plyometrics and, you know, monitoring that, how do you suggest if someone is, you know, if they've done a bit of strength training, if they're doing a bit of running and they're looking to introduce plyometrics, maybe they've um, realized that it could be quite beneficial for, for their for their performance and their for their loading if they're doing it appropriately. How do you suggest someone goes about introducing that and um, I guess not overdoing it like, like you've done and knowing how much is too much? So I think that depends on what their loading has looked like. If, if they've done a fair amount of calf loading and knee loading, um, I'm generally pretty happy to start them at a like pretty reasonable point in terms of just some, say, 50 to 70% intensity pogos, basically doing low amplitude, maybe doing some kind of altitude landings. And essentially for those ones, for our, our slightly bigger altitude landings where you're stepping off of a box and landing, you may only do about four to six of those two times. For your pogos where you're doing some repeated jumps at not a high intensity, it's probably good for you to go only for about you know 10 seconds to 20 seconds. And depending on how high you're jumping, you'll do about 20 to 40 reps. And you may only repeat that twice. That's something that you probably should only do two or three times a week at most. And even at that three times a week, that might be a bit too much. That That's probably a good starting point. And with plyometrics, because they are quite high load and high strain on our bones and tendons and muscles, it's always better to start too small and then build mm. up, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's probably a good way to look at it. Um, yeah, you can always add more, but it's hard to take it away once you've done the damage. So you're doing the plyometrics, you're doing the running, you're in the gym, getting back into everything. When did you start to notice any kind of symptoms or pain and what did that feel like initially? So I initially developed a little bit of shin pain on an 8K run. It was very, very mild, just a tiny bit of dull, diffuse aching on the kind of inside of my right shin. And then the next day I went into the gym and I was doing some plyometrics and I noticed it on the first set. And being a physio, I, I knew what was happening. I, I knew my shin was sore. I was just telling myself that it wasn't that sore and that it was okay. I was basically saying, if it gets worse, I'll stop. First or second, oh, sorry, second set of plyometrics, it got worse really quickly and I immediately stopped. However, the damage was already done. You're, you're not supposed to push into bone related pain for a reason. These things can come on really quickly. So I, I essentially pushed into it a little bit for about one set. And all of a sudden my shin was lit up. I was limping. I, I tested it two days later, just doing some tiny hops. We're talking some like very serious, sharp pain focally on the inside of my shin, um, very obvious immediately. Uh, and, and what I would say is that reflects what I see in practice as well. I, I knew better than to do what I was doing. When I've seen patients who've developed bone stress injuries, oftentimes they'll have a big increase in training, 
And even on a very small run where their shin's just a little bit sore, it progresses very quickly. So I've had patients go and do 20, 30 Ks. And then as they're backing off into a deload week, they'll go and do a 5K, but their shin's a little bit sore beforehand. And by the end of the 5K, their leg is incredibly sore and it's limiting their activity. The turnaround for some of these injuries can be really rapid. So sometimes it, it gives you some warning. Sometimes that tiny bit of warning you're getting is the end of the road for you. You need to stop before you push into that at all. Mm, that makes it so hard, doesn't it, when you... Yeah, if you don't have those warning signs or if the warning signs are very immediate and then suddenly it's it's worse, it's so hard to, you know, because I guess as runners, we've got niggles all the time. Things are a bit tight and achy, especially if you're, you know, in a big training block or you've got something big coming up, you're increasing your load. It's hard to different, differentiate between those pains or discomfort or tightness that is just kind of muscle soreness or DOMS and then what's actually an injury. So I guess, yeah, it is it is hard to know. And um, I guess we need to just be on the more cautious side of things potentially. Yeah. And, and even knowing when something isn't the right type of soreness, you can still make mistakes. I'm a good example of that. I'm sure we've all made mistakes when we know something is going wrong and we keep going. Um, mm. And I think as runners, we can definitely be prone to those things. There are some good frameworks for monitoring soreness for joints and ligaments um, and tendons and muscles. Basically up to three to five out of 10 for most of those injuries, depending on the pattern, is a good way to monitor if it's too sore or not, um, depending on how it goes afterwards as well. But for bone, it's no pain. If your shin is sore, if a bone in your foot is sore, you can't push into that at all and you need to get it checked and get some advice to decide what to do. Mm, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. a good rule of thumb for those listening out there. Um, now what happened next? So you had that pain, you stopped on that second set, you tested yourself maybe two days later. Were you resting straight after that um, for those next couple of days or how did that look? Yeah. So I was very reluctant to go into a boot because I wanted to try and keep moving. I basically gave myself a boot without giving myself a boot. I was walking around and just not pushing off on my foot at all, just limping up hills, limping on uneven surfaces um, to try and just keep a little bit of movement. My right ankle is prone to getting very stiff very quickly um, because I've had some injuries to it previously. So I was, I was avoiding a boot where possible, but essentially I, I offloaded it. The pain went away with rest. I was able to continue walking and actually pushing off without pain after a few days but I sillily demonstrated an exercise to a patient, which was just a very simple calf raise exercise where you do them a little bit quickly. And that load immediately gave me a very sharp focal pain in my shin. And this time it was actually a lot more in the front of my shin and like focal in one spot that made me actually really worried. And I, that's when I went and saw Lydia and spoke to Patrick as well, one of the other physios at the running room. And we basically just escalated immediately to going and getting an MRI to check what was going on. Um, I'd already had an x-ray and the x-ray was a little bit less clear, but showed basically a bump on the front of my shin. Um, and that's a really concerning sign. If you're seeing any kind of bone stress on an x-ray immediately after you've had symptoms, that's a, a bad sign. Normally x-rays can't pick up early bone stress injuries. They can only pick up bigger ones. So I immediately was getting an MRI to follow it up. That MRI came back a few days later and me being the nerd that I am, I'd already looked through the scan and I was not 100% sure what was going on because the scan wasn't super, super clear in terms of there wasn't a big white patch that we'd normally see that would tell you that it's bleeding in one spot or that you've broken it. There wasn't really clear symptoms. 
So I was looking at it thinking there was a little bit of blood in the front part of the bone, which is very worrying, right where I had my pain. The radiologist had a look at it and they actually reported the same thing, um, but they wrote it a little bit differently. So it was a bit confusing. So I called them, I had a chat to them and they basically said there was some swelling and blood in the front part of my shin, um, which basically suggested that I had an anterior tibial stress fracture, um, which if you are a physio or you're not sure, um, basically that's one of the most concerning types of bone stress injuries that you can get. So concerning that I put myself on crutches in a boot immediately. Um, and I essentially organized a sports doctor review that next day and a CT scan the morning before that. So we're talking as soon as you're worried about something like that, the escalation is should be completely uh, urgent. If this is something that you leave alone and it progresses, we're talking about your leg breaking. And in many cases, patients with these types of bone stress injuries can't return to sport. In, in a lot of cases, it's up to 25 to 50% of patients never returning to the sport that they participated in. Yeah, wow, that's huge. Why is that particular site um, so much more urgent or concerning than any other area of the body? So the, the way that I like to explain this and just general bone stress injuries is if you imagine a bow and arrow, you've got your drawstring and then you've got the wood part. I'm not sure how else to describe it. <laughs> when you draw on the string, it's going to bend the, the wooden part. So when your calf muscles are contracting and working, they're pulling on your shin bone and they're actually bending it um, in a small way. Now, if we're thinking about a bow and arrow, when you pull on that string, the part that's closest to the string of the wooden part is going to bend and it's actually going to be compressed and, and shortened. The part on the opposite side is actually going to be pulled open and it's going to be stretched. So if you think about a Kit Kat, if you break a Kit Kat, one side's going to open and the other side's going to push together and compress. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what's happening with an anterior tibial stress fracture. That's basically just the front of your shin being pulled open. So if we think about a fracture, normally when you break your leg, those fractures heal fine because you're going to put your weight on them and it's going to hold them together. Bones can heal well when you hold them together. That's sometimes why you need surgery because they're not in the right place or they're displaced and they're not together. So you put them together. In an anterior tibial stress fracture, the muscles and the forces are literally going to pull apart this bone so it can't heal if that makes sense. Yeah. Now, on top of that, we also need blood to bring nutrients um, and basically the building blocks for your bone. This front part of your shin, where you often get this type of tension stress fracture where it's being pulled apart, doesn't actually get much blood supply. So not only is it really hard for this bone to heal because it's not being held together, you're not actually getting enough of the building blocks to heal it. So this type of stress fracture, along with a few that exist in the leg, are really dangerous and potentially leading, can lead to really, really bad outcomes. Yeah, well, okay. I think that's a really nice visual for people to understand, get their head around the differences there. And you said initially that maybe you weren't, you, you know, you didn't put it in a boot straight away. You were kind of hopping around trying not to weight bear and then you did those calf raises and aggravated it or had a little bit more intense pain. Were you thinking that it wasn't so severe then or something totally different and then you got a bit more clarity after that? So I, I initially didn't realize that I had the anterior bony tenderness, mm -hmm. mostly yeah. because it wasn't super sensitive when I was poking it, but also the symptoms were quite 
diffuse, like the, the, the soreness was general. I was having night pain um, and my leg was actually a little bit swollen. So I knew it was severe, but generally with these lower risk stress fractures, not the anterior um, stress fractures, you can actually load them as long as there's no pain. So I was walking around and just limping and there was no pain. So I was treating it um, appropriately in the context that I thought it wasn't this higher risk stress fracture. Mm -hmm. When it did progress or, or become more clear that it was the front of my shin, I was immediately in a boot and again, getting an MRI. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I think um, often, or maybe, I don't know, maybe things have changed, but I, I think years ago it used to often be with a regular fracture, um, you know, people would be in a boot or crutches for such a long period of time, non-weight bearing for so long, and then eventually start to do some rehab. But I'm thinking that that framework has kind of changed a lot over the last few years. And were you sort of wanting initially to, you know, not decondition too much and not lose the strength and, and the, I guess all the work that you'd done prior, um, and therefore not putting it in the boot and trying to give it a little bit of lighter loading, I guess. Yeah. So the principles now that we use in um, these lower risk type of stress fractures, particularly of the tibia of your shin bone, we actually try to minimize how much immobilization that we give you because anytime that you're in a boot for a prolonged period of time, you're actually going to increase the rate of bone loss after a, if you extend that period more than six weeks. So at around 12 weeks after a bone stress injury, patients will lose a very significant amount of their bone mineral density in that leg. And because they've been in a boot and their, uh, their activity has reduced, their other leg will also lose bone mineral density. So what we're trying to do in these lower risk stress fractures where they're not at risk of breaking your leg, they heal really well. And oftentimes within two to three weeks, they'll develop a callus that will give them enough bone strength that you can load them without them breaking. That's a situation where those bones are safe for us to be loading as long as there's not pain. So in that, in that context, if I can just limp and not push through my foot, and that's going to mean that there's no pain, that's a, that's a situation where if it was a low risk fracture, I would be okay to keep loading it again, as long as there's no pain. Yeah. Right. Okay. I think it's um, pretty clear that if you are someone who is potentially having some of these signs and symptoms that having someone to help you through this process is so vital because there are just so many nuances and differences and it's not so clear to be like, okay, you've been diagnosed with this particular injury, this particular grade, whatever, this is exactly what you do. It's just, there's so many variables there. So I think, yeah, having someone with that understanding is super important. And you've spoken about the, that area being particularly high risk and why, why the reasons for that. What about in terms of just the grading? So grade one, two, three, whatever it is, what is the difference between those for someone who might have recently had a scan and they're told they've got a grade one or grade two, what, what's the kind of um, classifications between those? What does that mean for, I guess, the treatment and the outcomes of that? So the main grading system that we use is broken up into four grades. We've got grade one, which essentially means that there is some kind of bleeding either in the marrow of the, the bone or on the outside of the bone um, or, or just swelling rather on the outside of the bone. That swelling is indicative that the bone is being stressed a bit too much. Um, and essentially we're starting to have some micro cracks form in the bone. 
That's not going to show up on the scan because they're too small for our MRI technology or even our CT scans to pick up most of the time. So you're not going to actually have any obvious signs of damage to the bone, but it's probably starting to weaken and there's that bleeding and that swelling. When we get to our grade two, generally that's just going to mean that there's more edema or it's it's showing up on multiple different types of views. And, and generally, again, that just means there's more swelling and it's more likely that we've got more damage, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. When we start to get to the grade three and the grade four, that's where we actually have that micro damage becoming big enough and there being enough of it that it's going to show up on our scans. And that's basically going to start to look like the actual cortex of the bone or the strong part of the bone starting to actually have blood in it because it's actually breaking down and wearing down. That's what we see when we get to grade three. And then when we get to grade four, generally that's going to mean that that swelling and that bleeding in the bone also has a crack through it because the bone is literally starting to break. That's talking about a fracture where your leg is essentially broken. And if that escalates even further beyond a grade four, which is something that can happen in these high risk sites, we're talking not just about a fracture in part of your bone, we're talking about a fracture through your whole leg. Mm, wow. So it really yeah, escalates throughout that, doesn't it? It's quite serious when you get towards those three and four. And what does that look like in terms of the outcomes for those patients and I guess timeframes in terms of treatment and rehab generally? So for most lower risk stress fractures, um, the, the lower grades are mostly just going to present as an ache um, or some, some soreness with activity. And if that is quite severe and they have soreness with just walking around and things like that, those patients are probably actually going to take a while to come back. If we're talking about timeframes for our lower grades, oftentimes they're going to be around three to six weeks. But if they have soreness with simple activities like walking, that's a situation where those patients might end up taking 10 to 12 weeks to get better because they're going to have to be booted. They're going to decondition slightly in that boot and then they're going to take longer to get back. When we get to our grade three and four, most patients are going to be sore enough that they're sore with walking and they're going to need a boot for three to six weeks in our lower grade stresses. And then when we get to grade four, most patients are going to be in a boot for around six weeks, if not more. In our low risk patients, those patients can normally walk around in that boot and we can start to wean them based off when they start becoming less symptomatic and less sore. In our high-risk patients, oftentimes we're not just booting them, we're booting them and putting them on crutches and we're sending them for some really advanced imaging really urgently and we're following up with those repeatedly. Now, if we talk about, I've just spoken about time in the boot, if we're talking about return to sport times, it's generally going to be around six to 12 weeks for a grade one to two, sometimes even three um, for you to get back to sport. And that's that's just running a little bit. That's generally not going to be returning to performance. Sometimes returning to performance is going to take you four, five, six months, and you may not reach your top speed for up to a year. So that's just with our lower grades. When we're talking about our higher grade bone stress injuries that are low risk, we're often not going to reach back to normal performance for longer than six months. And sometimes it's going to take us more than a year to get back to our normal speeds and, and mileages, if that makes sense. Mm, yeah. So I guess it really highlights if you can really try and get onto it as early as you can when you are starting to get those initial symptoms so that it, hopefully it isn't eventually turning into those grade three to four 
um, yeah. stress fractures as well. You go for it. I didn't even get to mention our high-risk stress fractures. In our high-risk stress fractures, in particularly for this site, sometimes these aren't actually going to be picked up for months because they have different symptoms and they often aren't as sore. And what ends up happening is they also don't heal. So when we're talking about you know a year to return to performance, it might take you six months or a year just to get back to running. And sometimes it's going to take you multiple years in these high-risk stress fractures to get back to running. That's a devastating proposition. And unfortunately, that's the positive end of that spectrum in our high-risk stress fractures, because oftentimes some of these patients, if they've got a grade four high-risk stress fracture, will never return to sport, which is devastating. Yeah. Wow. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, coming back to you. So we've spoken about how you went about getting diagnosed, getting some scans, getting the team to have a look at it. What sort of happened after that? You got into the boot, you settled it down a little bit, had some time off, bit of deloading. What was your kind of initial rehab looking like then? So my initial rehab was actually just being in a boot and very reduced activity um, for around five weeks. So as soon as I got the scan back and I saw the sports doctor, I reviewed with him. He told me I didn't necessarily need the crutches because I only had a grade three. It wasn't quite a fracture yet. Um, and he also didn't think I needed the crutches for a few different reasons. One of which was I've not had a bone stress injury before. I've got very good bone health. That When he did a measurement using a DEXA, I actually have uh, three standard deviations above normal bone strength in my or bone mineral density in my legs. So that, that would be like saying you have, you're in the top five to 2% of bone mineral density. So that, that gives me a little bit of leeway because my legs are pretty tough. And then also I don't have any risk factors in terms of metabolic health that would make it more risky and more likely that my leg wouldn't heal. Mm -hmm. So I've just said all of these things about how scary high-risk stress fractures are and how scary stress fractures are in general. But I was actually very aggressive because I had all of these things in my favor and I had the support of a sports doctor as well as some imaging that we were repeating to make sure it was healing. So I was in the boot for around five weeks, but at three and a half weeks, I started to take the boot off at home and I was walking around and I actually started to layer in some double leg calf raises into some single leg calf raises. And in that last week, I was actually doing some lifting in the boot just making sure that I wasn't pushing too hard. Mm -hmm. And was that those initial stages where you were weaning off the boot, was that guided by pain and, and symptoms or? So I was, I was not going to push even close to pain in this situation. With our high risk stress fractures, um, we throw all of those things out the window. So what I was doing is I was going much, much, much lower than I would need to because I was actually walking around without pain beforehand. Mm. And I was staying well below that and then edging very slowly close towards that and again just leaving a massive gap in terms of tolerance towards pain because I probably like like the only time I was getting pain was when I was hopping previously or when mm. I was doing those fast pulses I was taking two three four steps back from that and building towards it mm -hmm. yeah very sensible and were you training your other leg during this time yeah Nice. Great question, Sophie. So <laughs> generally for six months afterwards, we're actually at risk of injuring our contralateral leg or our uninjured leg. Um, that's, that's the side we're more likely to get a bone stress injury in because it's going to lose bone mineral density like we spoke about before from not training 
and you're probably going to load it up more due to you offloading your injured side. So it's getting weaker and you're loading it more. Mm. That's the side that's going to get some trouble. So I was looking at that and going, no way am I letting my bone mineral density drop off on my good side. I'm going to train that hard. That meant I was doing pogos. I was doing some some jumps, much less because I <laughs> learned from my mistake. And then doing some heavy single leg loading to make sure that leg got nice and strong or just rather kept its bone mineral density and its strength. Yeah, I think that's a good reminder because it yeah, it's probably quite easy to just not consider that or just assume that, you know, you're resting the other leg. Why would you bother to train the other one? Just wait till the other one's healed and then do them both together. But um, I think that's a really good reminder. I also would have got very bored if I couldn't train. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of upper body. Yeah. <laughs> but not too much for your shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, cool. So you were starting to add a little bit of um, loading in eventually. You were starting to wean off the boot and that kind of thing. Um, what does the kind of rehab look like in terms of reintroducing some strength work? And when did you begin to look at returning to run? So uh, getting into strength work and actually getting out of the boot required um, an MRI to show that the stress had actually disappeared. So I had an MRI five weeks after the first one to show that it had healed. And fortunately, the bone stress had resolved and gone away. So I, the doctor basically spoke with me and we talked about a plan and I was allowed to pretty much immediately start doing some strength training, um, basically starting a bit lower because if you've come back from the gym ever, you know, you're going to get really, really sore. Um, so I, I started at around 50 to 70% of normal for most of my lifts. And then I started building that back up, trying to include some single leg options. Um, and then I also started because I'd been doing calf raises out of the boot for the week and a half beforehand. I started to do some loaded calf raises for a week. After that week, I started to do some um, pulses, not jumping, but just about to. And then I worked into some jumping um, and then some single leg pogos or single leg hopping into, uh, and, and this is something that I actually start, I've started to recommend more to my runners, even though it's quite difficult. I actually like people to be doing more plyometrics and more strength work for a little bit longer before they return to running because running is not particularly bone building. And oftentimes when we increase our running, it's gonna be slightly detrimental to our bone health. So I like to give patients a little bit more of a runway by doing more strength training and more jumps for a little bit longer so that they're actually gonna have some increase in strength of their bones rather than right as they start increasing their bone, sorry, their bone loading with running and they haven't really increased their bone strength at all. So I like to push the bone strength component early and keep that high and then delay the running so that we're going to have not a lag where the, the bone loading is higher than the strength, but rather a, a lag where the loading and the strength of the bone is higher than what we're doing with our running. So mm. I, I gave myself basically, the doctor said four weeks to start running after I got out of the boot. I waited six weeks mm. um, and I was about to start running, but I actually got very, very sick right before Christmas. Oh, no. So right as I was about to go into Christmas, I was actually going to the hospital to get over a fever um, and a bout of gastro. Um, oh and then, yeah, I've only just come out of the holiday period and I've done a little bit of running, um, which has looked mostly like a, a protocol that you, you may have seen um, where you're starting with 30 minutes of walking and then you're going into one minute of running and nine minutes of walking, repeating that twice before progressing on to the next stage. So that is currently where I'm at. Um, but 
looking back on the journey, it's been about 11 weeks to get back to running. And that's probably much quicker than I would expect for most high risk stress fractures. And again, the reason why that might be is because I, I do have, I don't have any risk factors. I have good bone health and I have a good warning system where my leg's telling me that it's being loaded and that it's too much, um, as well as the fact that I have a scan showing that the bone has healed. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have all of those things or any of those things went wrong or were against me, this is something where this might've taken 16 to 20 to, to more than that up to a year for me to be back to running. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you've done all the right things and I guess yeah, it is so hard to know in the moment, but it's apart from being sick, it's obviously gone relatively smoothly. Um, just coming back to what you were saying before about kind of what you've been doing more, I guess, with yourself in this uh, situation and with your clients or patients as well, is having more of that time spent doing the strength and the jumps and the plyos. How do you explain to someone, um, I guess, the difference between the loading they get from their running versus the load they get from their jumping or plyometrics? Obviously, we understand that a little bit more prescribing it ourselves but for someone who is a runner and maybe hasn't been exposed to plyometrics before I can I can understand how they might be a bit confused by like well how come I can run all the time you tell me to do all these hops and stuff but why can't I run and what's the difference there have you got I guess an analogy or a way that you explain that to people or has that not come up so much for you I try to explain and this is across lots of injuries and lots of times in, in a program even, that there's a big difference between what we can do and what we should do. Oftentimes, right after you've come out of a bone stress injury, um, you've heard of like stories of, of David Goggins running on broken feet. Um, and it's like probably the worst thing that's ever happened to sports medicine is someone <laughs> telling you that you should run on stress fractures, but you probably can run on your leg, but in no way is that gonna be good for you. So when we're talking about this situation where you you could be returning to running, but I'm asking you not to. I say that to patients. I say, look, you can run. If there's a bus coming, please run out of the way. Don't get hit by a bus. <laughs> but for the moment, I don't want to give you a structured running plan and I don't want to get you running just yet because this is the period where your bone is actually going to be much weaker and we're probably more likely to cook the bone in these first few weeks, particularly if you go back quite quickly. So when I do get you running, it's going to be a bit slower than you probably would like. And I'm also going to ask you to wait a little bit longer because I want to spend the next few weeks building your bones back so that they're bigger and stronger and better. So that when you do go back, we're not just going to run into the same problem where we're cooking your bones and we're, and we're back in this same position. Because the reality is, as soon as you've had a bone stress injury, you're seven times more likely to have another one. And if we've just spent 10 weeks offloading you and letting this heal and getting you back to being able to run, I don't want to repeat this again with you. And I don't want you to go through this again. So I really want you to just give me an extra few weeks for us to make sure that your bones are really strong and really happy because I'm actually really aggressive with rehab. I'm really aggressive with making sure that we're getting your bones stronger. I'm just not really aggressive with adding in a load in terms of running which is really monotonous, really low impact and doesn't stimulate bone growth. If anything, it's actually just going to make your bones bored and you're going to keep running and you're going to keep loading them and they're not going to get stronger. You're just going to keep overloading them and making them weaker. Does that make sense? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think it's a, yeah, I guess a short-term investment for long-term benefit, but I think in the moment it can be quite hard to understand that and be patient with that. But um, 
yeah, if people can get their head around the fact that, yeah, having those extra couple of weeks off running is probably going to mean that they're able to run for so much longer long-term. Um, and that is such a high, it's such an increase in risk, right? That seven times increased risk after having a bone stress injury to get another one. Is, are you going to be changing things? I mean, I'm assuming you're not going to go straight back into all the pliers and all the running like you did last time, but are there other things that you'll look, look at with your own training moving forward um, because of that heightened risk now? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not going to run probably more than two or three times a week again um, for the next year. And mm -hmm. I'm not going to be running any kind of higher pace um, for again, probably the next six months to a year. Mm -hmm. So my pace is going to be cut, which is sad because I enjoy running quickly. <laughs> and I'm also just going to reduce the frequency because running is important to me, but running for the next year is much more important than me because frankly, missing out for those three months and missing out on being able to do the things that I normally do in the gym and with sport, with my shoulder as well, just makes me not want to be out again. And if that means I have to go slower, if that means I have to just spend more time doing the harder parts that are less fun, I'm okay with that. Part of me is not okay with that. Part <laughs> of me is like every time that I was on a hill and it was a nice day, I just wanted to run. Mm. But you know, we do have to just sometimes make these harder choices for, like you said, short-term suffering for long-term gain. Mm. Yeah. And just on that as well, um, talking about running slow, why is that so important in this situation and why are you being a bit more conservative with the pace for the next year or so? So bone bones respond really well to high impact exercise when you do not that much of it. So doing five, 10 jumps awesome for your bones, right? Doing 50 of those, probably okay for your bones. As soon as you start to do anything that's more intense, you massively, massively reduce how much you can do of that thing. Basically, the simple rule is the faster you go, the quicker that you're going to break down your bones. And it's essentially exponential. So again, if you increase your speed by 10%, you're going to halve the distance that you can run. If we put that into context, if we are running a six-minute pace, if you drop to 5.30 and you were running 5Ks at six minutes, now you can only run two and a half Ks, all right? Most of the time, that 10% increase in pace, we can still almost run the same distance. So it's much, much easier for us to have an enjoyable run and get something out of it by having a slower pace that we do for a long time than us slightly increasing this pace and we're just going to have to cut the run really, really short. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes sense. Yeah, um, slow down a bit and you can run for longer rather than speeding yeah. up and having to do short runs unless you want to be a sprinter, which who wants to do that? Um, <laughs> and then beyond that, beyond this next year, have you got any goals with your training? Are you looking to um, do anything more in terms of the, the gym stuff or looking at doing any races further down the track once this next year is over? Or are you just keen to kind of enjoy the the routine of training and have some consistency. I'm hoping to do a half marathon at some point during Ooh, this year. Nice. Um, whether that's the Sydney half or I might go to Adelaide to do a half with a friend. Mm -hmm. That's one of my goals. I don't have a single thought of time or pace in that. I'm going to try not to think about those things, even though mm -hmm. I'm deathly competitive <laughs> and my friend is probably going to be a little bit faster than me and it's going to kill me. <laughs> I'm going to try not to think about those things. And then 
beyond that, I'm actually going to try and get myself back to basketball, which has been a bit of a struggle with the ACL injury that I've had mm-hmm. because doing change of direction sports is probably better for your bone health long-term than doing running. So participating in those sports, oftentimes we see in big studies on military personnel, the people that do basketball or soccer for a few months beforehand will have much less bone stress injuries. So I'm taking that and applying that to myself and going to diversify, do some other activities. So hopefully that gives me a better chance of not having another one of these later on. Yeah, nice. Very good. Um, before we wrap things up, Lydia, did you have any final questions? Um, I'd love to hear, Bo, what your biggest learning is from all of this as a clinician and personally. I think probably one of the biggest learnings that I had and kind of a revelation is bone stress injuries can turn around really quickly. At the start, I was pretty frustrated with myself. Like, how did I let this happen? But me making a mistake for essentially all it was, was about 30 minutes of training. You know, the back end of that run, my shin was a bit sore. And then the start of my workout, it got really, really sore. That's like 30 minutes of just making a mistake and it turning from being slightly sore to being, oh, I feel like I just broke my leg. I think people underestimate how quickly a stress, a bone stress can progress. If we think about bones as uh, like a really simple structure, if you have a twig and you bend it 20 times and it's starting to break, it's going to break a lot easier than if it's just been bent once, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. As you load something and it's starting to break, if you apply the same load, it's going to break more and then it's going to break more and it's going to break more. And that's a pessimistic way to think about things. But once you start hitting the point where your bone is starting to break down, it's going to break down a lot quicker. So you can turn something that's not too bad into something quite drastic quite quickly. And that's worrying. But also when you pick up the symptoms and the signs and be a little bit more cautious, you're probably going to have a better outcome than thinking you can keep going. Yeah, awesome. That's a great lesson. Um, Now, one final question before we let you go is your current favorite pair of running shoes. Oh, look, I'm a New Balance guy. I'm I'm a sucker for them. I've just got wider feet. They've always been more comfortable. I just just love them. And I've got the 1080s. I love them. They're cushiony. They're comfortable. (laughs) They fit awesome. They've got your meta rocker. They've got that great bit of extra cushioning while still not being too heavy. They're my go-to. Yeah. Lovely. Um, Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Bo. That's been really, really interesting. I think the listeners are going to get a lot of insight out of that and kind of a bit of understanding and science and theory behind it, but also practically how it applies in a a real life situation. So thank you so much. If the listeners would like to come and chat to you, have a consult with you, are you at the Clavelli Clinic? Yeah, I'm at the iMove Clavelli and the Running Room Clinic, Mm -hmm. um, basically on Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays. So if people want to catch up and, and even just pop in and say hi, they can do that. Awesome. Um, they can also find me online at bowscience101 on Instagram. Shoot me a DM. We can have a chat. Um, basically anything bone stress related or running related, I'm happy to chat. Yeah, awesome. We'll have all those linked below and would highly recommend people coming to see you. Thank you so much for your time. Awesome. No worries. Thanks, guys. This was awesome. Wow. What a stunning episode. As <laughs> it's <always>. stunning. <laughs> stunning. <laughs> Gee, did you enjoy that as much as I did? Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> the irony is team. This is a little inside scoop. <laughs> we don't actually know which episode this is going on to, so it's all a surprise. But 
what we do know is that all their episodes are just incredible. So guaranteed, <laughs> stunning, <the game's> fantastic, <laughs> stunning, beautiful, magnificent. Anyway, we're just here to have a little chin rag and just a little life update for y'all if you're interested. <laughs> so <laughs> if you're interested, then you can hang around and you can listen to us chin rag for, I'm going to say the next 10, hopefully minutes. It it might extend knowing us, but we're going to try and be concise with our updates, aren't we, Sophie Lane? We are. We are good at summarizing now. I think we've improved. Yeah. So let's start off with top of the agenda, Sophie Lane. What have been the highlights for you the last three weeks? Because we haven't had a proper catch up for a mm. while. So tell me your top couple of things, top <laughs> highlights. Not too I'm many. S- I'm not too so little. glad that you said highlights and not learnings because oh, sometimes yeah. you hit me with that one and I'm like, oh, I really haven't thought about what I've learnt. Yeah, also, you- I'm on a break, so I'm chilling. My brain's not been functioning for a while. I, oh, um, well, that's why we talk about the highlights. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. I've got some learnings for you as well, by the way. Things that I've learned or that you Things learned? that you need to learn. Oh. <laughs> just you wait. Just you wait. Just you wait. Okay. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So my highlights are I've been kind of semi-retired, let's call it. Oh. Semi-unemployed. Just living <laughs> my relaxed lifestyle. The retirement um, dream. That's it. Running, going to the gym, going to the Running, beach. Running, supping, naps, gymming, supping, napping. All the good things. Instagramming, YouTubing. Yeah, actually. Injuring. You've had many injuries in this time off. Niggles, Two? niggles, niggles. Two little bumps in the mm, road. A few little bumps, a few little bumps, yeah. Nothing major. Anyway, well, your ankle. Your ankle was pretty significant. It could have been worse though. Yeah, but it's still an injury. It's still a solid injury. It's like a real injury. I mean, they're all injuries, but like when you have an acute injury, I feel like for a runner, it's a bit like, oh, forgot you can get acute injuries. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Sometimes I forget that. I think that's just because I've never played contact sports. Mm. I've never had like an injury. Well, I have, but like I've never had, I've never had a contact injury. So I think I like forget that, that, oh, I mean, oh no, I haven't. No, <laughs> I definitely haven't. <laughs> Whirlwind. <laughs> anyway, like, back to me. Okay, all right, okay, okay. Back to the highlights. My so highlights. So yeah, number one, just trying to relax a little bit more, having a bit more free time and time to do what I want to do, not be on anyone else's agenda or schedule, which has been lovely. Second highlight would be that day that I went to the Central Coast and hung out with the ladies from the Stretch Lab and then I hung out with the guys from the running room and then the team at the runner shop and just like hanging out with all my Central Coast business pals. It was really nice, a good combination of activities, uh, really nice to check out the space at the running repairs. It was so cool. Like if I had a clinic, I would want it to be like that, just kind of like spacious, minimal, nice, you know, just the all the equipment you'd need, but not too much, not too messy, all that good stuff. Um, so, yeah, if you're on the Central Coast and you get injured or you just want a, an assessment on your running gait or your strength, then head to the running repairs room. Lydia, what's going on? <laughs> Nothing. You're I'm looking smiling. so mischief- mischievous. Mischievous? <laughs> mischievous? I'm just glad like, to be here. Can you say that word for me? Mischievous. Okay. Yeah, you're looking that. I feel like I'm. Or is it mischievous? Maybe it's (laughs) mischievous. I'm not sure. Anyway, that was a great day. So that's number two. Number three, actually, you said a couple, so I'm done. Oh, gosh, that went so quick. (laughs) (laughs) So sad. It's cool. It was like a great movie and it was gone. (laughs) I just ripped away. I was just getting into it. TV off. (laughs) (laughs) Power is out. Okay. 
All right, tell me your two highlights from the Hang last on. three weeks. Oh, what about sorry. your learning? So this oh, is yeah. my learning for you. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. What happened about your sup adventure in the bush where oh. I don't know what happened, but I think oh. <laughs> that tested about my that. crankiness. <laughs> but I, okay, okay. So I wanted to go for a sup and I was house sitting at the time and I was really close to Lane Cove River. So I was like, perfect. I'll just hop down to the river, hop in the water, do a little paddle, come back. It'll be fine. Hang on, hang on. Just interjecting here. Yep. One of Sophie Lane's uh, goals or visions for 2024, slash probably not specifically a new year thing, but just generally you're like, you said to me, I want to be in the water a little bit more. Like I want to do a little bit more water activity on the reg. Mm, exactly. So this is Sophie Lane getting the into attempt. her water era. Yes. So <laughs> I just looked on the map and just saw the place that looked the closest to the water. You know what I mean? Like the part between the road and the water was at its narrowest. It was at the peak. So I was like, perfect. I'll just hop straight in. Anyway, I parked my car, pumped up the thing, oh. pumped up the sub on the side of the road. It was quite a warm day, by the way. It was about 10-ish by now. It's quite warm. 10 a.m., not 10 degrees. And then <laughs> I was like, perfect. Walked. I'll just hop down the little trail to the water. And so I left my shoes in the car because I didn't want to leave my shoes by the water. I left everything, my phone in the car because I didn't, what was I going to do with that while I was on the water? Blah, blah, blah. Anyway, went down a little bit of the trail and then it suddenly got very rocky, very tree rooty, very technical. And I'm walking down with this like seven foot inflatable <laughs> board and the paddle, which I started using as a bit of a walking stick. Oh my God. And I'm like going down these like rocky stairs that were like, I could only just fit through them they were so narrow with big rocks either side so I'm like <laughs> trying to like throw the board down but not let it roll away but also not let it get popped and then the leg I'm going down these really steep stairs and then I get stuck because the leg rope got stuck on one of the steps <laughs> so then I had to like crawl my way back up the thing and then I'm thinking I'm gonna have to come back like I'm gonna have to do my paddle come back up here again also my feet like it was rough edges on the ground like I was really embracing my barefoot lifestyle but I don't think my feet were quite acclimatized to the sharp shells and rocks that I was stepping on anyway got to the water eventually and then you know when I started paddling I was thinking how am I going to remember like I don't remember where I parked my car how am I going to remember where I started this paddle because it's just bush like there was no like here's the pier or the jetty or like the sign just like I just crawled through the mangroves and got on. And so I was like, really, I tried really hard to look at Remember some landmarks. A tree or when something. I say landmarks, I'm like, oh, well, that tree's slightly greener than that one. <gasps> um, but also, yeah, I could have, I think I can press a button on my watch, which takes me back to the start. Anyway, oh. did my paddle. The paddle was actually great. Well, straight back to your car. <laughs> straight back to your car. Yeah, <laughs> we'll skip that part. And then, yeah, the whole paddle, I was just dreading going back. And I, the worst part was I couldn't even document it to show you or show anyone oh. how much of an adventure oh. I was because I left my phone in my car. Of course, yeah. So it doesn't even count. Oh. Well, I it's funny because when I recorded the walk back on Strava just to show the elevation, but I don't oh. think it would have been that impressive. Yeah. I mean, that would have been more embarrassing, wouldn't it? If you came back <laughs> with this story and then like, it was like a 300 meter walk and it was like <laughs> two meters elevation. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was more about the, uh, surface you know the terrain and, and the emotional turmoil right yeah it was a real unpredictability really yeah adventure almost the hit rock resilience bottom. yeah well you hit some rocks all right i did with my bottom <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. well okay so I what's the lesson in that well 
I, I, I thought maybe you would have one. Oh. Maybe just more planning. Like, yeah, but I like, like spontaneous. Yeah, I know. I know you like to be. It was like when I tried to take you for a kayak in Coffs Harbour and there was no oh, water oh, yeah. in the lake. <laughs> we were just, we just shuffling along on the sand. Using the, the oars, or the oars, the paddles to like yeah. dig into the sand and then like pull us along. Yeah. I'm like, there'll be more water soon, I promise. <laughs> just wait, just wait. We'll go a little bit further. That's right. Oh and that was gosh. when I was in my boot. I couldn't even get out and walk if I wanted to. Oh, yeah. I was at the mercy of the, the kayak paddle. Wow. Anyway. All right. I'm glad you survived. I'm so Thank glad you. you lived to tell the tale. It was close. All right, your turn. All right, you're ready Keep for it one concise. Nice Strava. Gosh, okay. I'm just well, it doesn't have to be Strava-related. Did I talk about Strava? I'm, no, but I'm just seeing more activities I've done. Maybe I've done I mean, we know there's been about. some swims. Yeah, I um, I have done some swims, uh, but not many. Like my life update at the moment, if you guys have been following along the journey, I'm injured at the minute and I have been – I've been injured for a little while now. So we are almost at the one-year anniversary. Oh, anniversary. Should we have a party? Apart. A little well, like. Um, it'd have to be silent of, and it would have to be. Balloons. Just me and you. Maybe just send me a text or Why something. Why don't we just sit <laughs> at the park in silence? Oh, you know reflect. what? I we think could journal. Almost, on our yes, wrist space notepads. Yeah. <laughs> I um I think I need to get the slack line back out, actually. Oh, I think I need time. to add that into the regime. Mm-hmm. Um, because basically, guys, if you didn't know the story, I tore my hamstring almost a year ago. It was a tendon tear, not a good tear, bloody blah, groin injury, hip injury. Now I've got all this nerve pain in my leg and my foot, and my current thing is like cuboid syndrome. So basically, we ain't running. Even though this is a running podcast, Lydia has not really been doing much for the last year. But I'm still running in my heart and in my dreams. Like I'm still a part of it. Yeah. And like because I treat runners all day, every day, I kind of forget sometimes that I'm not running. Like I actually – Well, I do. I genuinely get the vibes so much. Like I genuinely am like, oh, yeah, like how good. Like I love this. Like I genuinely Mm. get the energy from my patients. So if you're one of my patients or just you're a fellow runner telling me about your runs, I love that. Like genuinely I love it. Like – Every now and then someone will be like, oh, sorry to like rub it in your face. And I'm like, mm. no, like keep telling me, like, I love this. Like, I love hearing about it. So um, that's good. Like I get to be around it so much. Um, but I will say there's been a little turning point the last couple of weeks where I'm just going through a phase of being pissed off that I'm not running. And like, mm. and I think it's because my nerve pain has gotten worse. And so now I can't walk. And so I'm like trying to limit my steps like as much as possible. And so I'm kind of like running out of sort of like exercise movement things to do because like anytime I like, anyway, I don't want to go into detail because it's just all a little bit sad, but I'm in a phase of frustration and anger. But Mm. (laughs) I am doing more journaling, which has been really nice. And I've been doing lots and lots of free diving, which has been amazing, 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 amazing. And it is just the best hobby that I have ever started. Running is amazing, also wonderful. Oh, be but careful what you I know, say. I know. I'm playing with Ooh, fire. You but are. this time last year, I did my freediving course. And since then, I've been learning how to go down and dive with the fishies and hold my breath. And it's just so cool. And I really can't wait until 
I'm able to do more swimming because I can't do hips of swimming with this foot nervy hip situation. Um, and I, I'm just really excited to actually be more active so that I can prove my cardiovascular fitness so that when I dive, I can hold my breath for longer. Because mm. I feel like there's a big component of diving, which is about relaxation, which is so good for me, good for my mental health and physical health as well, being relaxed and calm. There's research on anxiety and recovering from injury. So that's amazing and good. Um, but I'm so keen to like actually do some like stuff, which is going to help with it even more because I feel like when I very first started diving, I did have like more of a base of just like my resting heart rate was lower. My cardiovascular fitness was lower. So I don't, I still feel like I'm getting better, but I'm looking forward to having like an extra base of cardiovascular fitness because I think that's going to enhance it. And I'm so mm. excited for that. And in the meantime, I'm also just enjoying the process of having an activity that actually isn't about numbers or goals. And I feel like I've really embraced that this last year. And in particular, the last six months when I've not run at all, like I, as I said, I'm keen to get better at freediving, but I'm making a very conscious effort to not, like I'm not paying attention to how long I dive for. I'm trying not to pay attention to how deep it is. I'm like very much just being totally in the moment and just embracing an activity that doesn't have a set goal aside from just being completely present. So I would encourage everyone listening to the podcast to find something that they can do that is just about enjoyment and not at all about achieving a goal. Because I think as runners, it's so easy to chase numbers and accomplishments and whether it's running longer or faster or running, finding it easier, or like there's still some drive for progression. And I also think progression is so important for your mental health, like having a sense of moving forward with whatever you like to do. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think it's this skill that's undervalued in sporty people to just be so comfy with like just chilling and just like floating around with the mm -hmm. fish, looking at nice rocks, looking at nice bits of seagrass, like how damn good. Yeah, I think that's a really valuable point that runners and athletes probably just don't do enough. And I think, yeah, it's not until it's taken away from you through injury or illness or other things that you – then feel like, oh gosh, what can I do now? If I can't run and I can't improve my times and I can't run further and faster, like people get really lost with that. So I think if you can find something as you've just described before you get to that point and then you've got almost like a backup, I feel a bit silly calling it a backup because it could just be an, an adjunct, an adjacent mm, alongside yes, like your that. current like activity. Mm. Yeah. So it's not just like, a, oh, I'll just do it if I have to, if I've got no better option. Mm. It's like, no, just de develop that side of you mm. alongside the other things that you do. Obviously, you know, people are time poor and all that kind of thing. But I think often we are quick to do an extra run rather than thinking about maybe adding something in that would probably bring a lot more value to our lives and calmness and all those other mm. benefits that you described. Yeah. Well, see, this is the thing, like, uh, yeah, I think everything you said, so if I just agree with so much, and I think pre-free diving, I, I would often say to you, I'm like, I need a hobby that's not exercise. I need yes. something that is not physical activity. And I, I had the slack line, which was like a nice skill-based thing. Like I enjoy going bouldering because that's like very different and like it doesn't load my body in the same way that diet, the, sorry, that running does. Mm. But like it's exercise, di sorry, bouldering still exercise, obviously. Yeah. And like um, slacklining, I'm not counting that as exercise. Like it's an act, it's an, it's a, an activity where you're active, but it, it, it's not 
Anyway, I, I don't want to try and take away from these other activities. I think if you were doing it really well, it probably would be a bit more of an exercise activity rather than yeah. just trying to stand on it. <laughs> yes, that's it. And probably not for me. But I really struggled. And like there was so I have so many memories of like, um, you know, this time last year, I would like look at my Strava and I would have like run for three hours and then I'd swim for three hours in the pool and then I'd go surfing for an hour and then I'd go for a bushwalk because like all my activities are just like doing stuff. And I love that because I love doing stuff and I love being in nature. And that's kind of how I like my life to be set up. But I also was like, my only thing that I did that wasn't like on my feet moving around was like riding in my journal and like very occasionally reading or like, you know, I do go down to the beach often and like listen to a podcast and sort of relax. Like I definitely do that, but it just didn't have the same sense of purpose. Like I'm going to go do this thing. And like, having free diving is so wonderful because it's like I'm gonna go for a dive and it's like a very purposeful thing you go to a beautiful place you're not putting strain like I again I don't want to take away if anyone's a free diver listening or a spearfisher like I do understand that it is a sport and I do believe at a competitive level it requires an enormous amount of physical and mental fitness um yet in the the way that I'm doing at the moment it is very leisure and fun and relaxing and I'm floating around I'm like not not doing anything hectic so I don't want this to sound like I'm trying to say if freediving your is your sport then you're not um like if I mean I think I should I feel like you know what I'm trying to say you know I'm not trying to <laughs> yeah, you don't anyone, have to just it yeah appreciate but I, I'm saying that for me this has just been this really nice nice uh gentle thing that gives me a, an activity and a purpose and it's something that I'm going to carry through when I am back doing all my exercise. And I'm really looking forward to having that thing of like, I'm not doing a long run, but I've got something else planned that is really nice and relaxing. So I'm keen mm. for that. Nice. I like that. Fantastic. Alrighty. I reckon that will do us. I will chat to you soon, Sophie Lane yeah. and podcast listeners. Thank you everyone for all the